hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you, and stand upright, for I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand this, and on humbling yourself before uh, your God, the words you have been heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, so this would be a demonic angel who has leadership over Persia, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold Michael, and Michael is a good angel, an elect angel, the, the chief prince, he's also in charge of Israel, Michael is, came and helped me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Notice it's plural. Now I've come to give you understanding about the vision that you saw. Now we had a glimpse in there. This angel couldn't come as God dispatched him to answer Daniel's prayer uh, because he was in conflict with uh, uh, demonic rulers over that particular land of Persia. Now I'm going all the way back to Revelation 19 when Jesus Christ in the second coming is riding out of heaven for battle against Satan and his forces. And I want to read a little bit of that uh, as far as that warfare. It says in Revelation 19 and verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your and you I'm sorry, and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is spirit and prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written upon him that no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads out the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty." Now that's God coming with his elect angels and those of us who are in heaven with him when he comes. And we will come and we will be back with him to do war on the earth against Satan and his forces. Not just the uh, warriors that are gathered in Jerusalem, but all the unbelievers of the earth. We are all in the battle. And so our prayers need to be for all believers. And there is a battle going on constantly. In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 uh, to 34, the Apostle Peter uh, got to understand that in a very clear way when in verse 31, Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail you. 
And when you have once returned or turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, uh, with you I am ready to go to both prison and death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you even knew me. Now that was a a personal spiritual battle, a personal warfare that was going on in the apostle Peter. And though he thought he was saying something good to the Lord, like I'll never fail you, uh, he didn't understand what Satan was about to do to him. When, and when is the last time, I'm asking a question here, when is the last time you prayed for someone concerning the spiritual battle that he or she is in? And specifically, for the demonic forces against them and for the good angels and what they're doing in that particular battle. When is the last time you prayed for yourself and the spiritual battle that you are in uh, every day? Do you ever pray about the conflict of angels? Do you ever pray about what's going on in their warfare? I, I believe with all my heart that there are angels of God gathered with us here today uh, to worship the Lord with us. I also believe that there are demonic spirits trying to mess with people while they're here so they can't hear what's being said, so that uh, they get a glossy look in their eyes. And yeah, I can see that sometimes from the pulpit, and they don't know that I know that they're not getting it, and it's not, it's not getting through. And that's because there's a battle going on for your heart and for your soul and for your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is going to continue in chapter 6, verse 18 and following, about this spiritual battle and the spiritual armor. The greatest part of that is that you belong to Jesus Christ as salvation, and prayer is one of the greatest ways to uh, work in the battle. So he says in Ephesians 6, 18, with all prayer... I'm sorry, yeah, no, right, Ephesians 6, 18... With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now remember, he has just got through talking about, he just finished talking about the the spiritual armor. This is part of it. What do you think he's asking us to pray for? Well, this battle that we're in. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in the proclamation, it, in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul says there's a spiritual warfare against me. Uh, the enemy has me in chains to try to shut down my ministry, and I want to be bold in my proclamation in prison of my ministry to Jesus Christ. Let's go back and look at this a little bit, and let's see what we can pick up for our own life. In verse 18 we learn, be on, be on alert or on alert with perseverance, we pray and petition at all times in the spirit for all the saints. Through prayer and petition we are to pray at all times in the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, you're wondering I think what does that mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? What do we how do we pray in the spirit? And I'll talk about that in just a minute. The first word denoting prayer, because there's more than one here, is one that means a petition that is addressed to a deity, like our God. It can also refer to a place of prayer, like uh, we would call the house of prayer. It can also refer to that. It can be used with the idea of supplication before God. The word petition is also a prayer, but it carries with it the idea of an urgent request to meet a need that the petitioner needs met. So we have here a petition going before the Lord about a need that I have that needs met right now. Paul did that when he said, I am in chains. 
I ask God to give me boldness to speak out. I mean, you're already in prison for Jesus Christ, and now you want prayer that you can be bold in prison so that you can be bold about telling people about Jesus. It should strike us as uh, obvious that the spiritual warfare that we are making, in that we're making specific requests to God concerning the battle that we are in. When in the battle, we are never not in the battle, by the way, but when in the battle, it is critical to be in communication with the commander of God's army, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ commands the army. That was clear in Revelation 19, verses 14 to 16, as the great commander leads his forces out of heaven to come against Satan and the man of sin uh, and the false prophet in the book of Revelation. Jesus is in control of all these hosts of heaven. And by the way, he's in control of every army on earth, whether they would admit that or not. Now we come to this place where it says to, to you and I, pray at all times in the Spirit. That's capitalized. It means the Holy Spirit uh, in this text. Now I want to say something about that, okay? Because the charismatic believer would have you, have you believe something that I don't believe is true. A charismatic is somebody who believes that all the sign gifts are still for today, and so they believe in speaking in tongues, raising the dead, healing and prophesying, and all those things. Uh, I am not a charismatic. I believe God could do anything he wants to do at any time, but that he's not giving out that gift, so it happens uh, by, by a person's own volition and will because it's a gift of the Spirit of God. And here's one of the problems I have with it in this area. I believe all of you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, can pray in the Spirit of God. I, I think that's something every believer can do. But most charismatics identify this as praying in what they call your prayer language, that a Christian must seek from the Holy Spirit. So I read one man in a book, he says, once you trust Christ, Christ as your Savior, you need the Holy Spirit. So he said, you need, to, you need to pray and ask God and open up your heart. that will give you uh, your, own, your own personal prayer language in another language that you don't know. And then when you pray to God, you will use that language. And you seek that from the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of things wrong with that theologically. Number one, when you trust Christ as your Savior, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit immediately. And the sign of that is not speaking in tongues. But that's what they say. They say that this praying in the Spirit, is a special prayer language uh, that you don't know yourself, but God gave it to you to speak to him. It's an unknown language generally. They say that there are different kinds of tongues when talking about the issue of speaking in tongues, and that is how some of them get around what I'm about to say to you, uh, which is in terms of why I don't buy what they're saying. If it is a special prayer language, and I said if it is, that they are given in a different language, then this means that many believers will never be able to pray to God in the Spirit. Yet he commands every believer to pray in the Spirit in this passage. The Greek word for tongues is simply the word glossa. And that's the word that is used everywhere when it's talking about tongues, which normally refers to this, the physical organ, or to a language. A tongue in the New Testament when it's talking about uh, speaking it, is always a known language. It is never something that would be an unknown language. Even the language of angels is a true language, and it is not gibberish. Tongues are not a universal gift for every believer, 
as the miraculous tongue-speaking movement might have us believe. And the reason I say that is because of what it says in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, and verse 30. It says, by way of rhetorical question, all do not have gifts of healings, do they? The answer is what? No. No, they don't. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. No, they don't. All do not interpret, do they? No, uh, they don't. Now, if everybody's to get a prayer language from the Spirit of God and use that to pray to God, uh, then why is it that he says not everybody is going to speak in tongues? Well, what they say is your prayer language tongue is a different kind of tongue than the tongue that he's talking about here. The problem with that is the word glosa stands for one thing in the New Testament, and it's always used. It's used here, and it means a known language. And uh, the, this says not everyone, not every Christian is going to do that. So if, if the so-called baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is not what the New Testament teaches, it's not the Spirit's baptism, it's the, it's the baptism of Christ into the Spirit, that's what it's saying, and, and the sign that you have that is not speaking in tongues. Does everyone speak in tongues? No, they don't. So that would mean if you're not a charismatic, you couldn't do what it says here. And that's not the case. What does praying in the Spirit mean? Here's what it means. Praying in the Spirit means to be in close association. I'm talking about in, in the way we live and in our spiritual life. Close association with God under his control, under his influence. We're being led by the Spirit. We're obeying the Spirit. We're listening to the Spirit of God. It is being consistent with the Spirit's will and his desires here we're talking about in terms of spiritual warfare. Uh, it is prayer to the Father which is prompted and guided by the Spirit of God. It's not some unknown prayer language. Jesus taught us to pray. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So we want to pray God's will. That's one way we pray in the Spirit. James taught us to not pray out of wrong motives. So another way we need to pray in the Spirit is not by wrong motives. Further, James taught us that the prayers of a righteous man or woman accomplish great things. All this is a part of praying in the Spirit. It's not some specialized language. I want you to see in Romans uh, chapter 8. By the way, I can say a whole lot more on that, but I, uh, I just wanted you to know where I'm coming from uh, in terms of what it means to pray in the Spirit. All right, Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. In the same way also, the Spirit, he means the Holy Spirit, also helps our weakness for what we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Because sometimes we don't know what to pray, and the Spirit intercedes with what we should pray. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. It is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And that happens without somebody speaking in uh, so-called unknown tongues. So with prayer in mind, he says, be on the alert with perseverance and prayer for all the saints. The word alert means to be vigilant in awareness of threatening peril. You and I are in threatening peril, harm's way, every single day. Uh, the enemy is always working. He doesn't take a break. And we're to be concerned about this and look out for it and take care uh, of, of ourselves spiritually. Warfare against demonic forces is always a threat of peril against the believer. 
Do you know how to handle, let's say, an intruded thought that the enemy puts in your head? Uh, that's, that's just a basic uh, teaching of what we do in spiritual warfare. An intruded thought is when something pops in your mind. It's not your thought. It's probably a thought that you wouldn't have on your worst day. And the Bible says to use our, our uh, authority as an ambassador of Christ to rebuke that thought. So if I get an intruded thought, I'm going to say either in my head or out loud, probably not out loud. If people are around, you might scare them. But in my head, I might say this. I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus Christ. I command you to take that thought and go where Jesus is sending you right now. I will not have that thought in my life anymore. If I entertain that thought, then I'm going to follow with, Lord Jesus, forgive me for entertaining that thought. I don't want this in my life. Please take back any ground or base of operation the enemy has tried to gain because of this thought. Usually the enemy starts with thoughts and then gets you to do something you shouldn't do. When I was younger, the intruded thought I had all the time was, you're not a Christian. I, as a little boy, I trusted Christ at eight years old, and then I would do something and say, wow, uh, I shouldn't have done that, and I'd get these thoughts in my head. Well, you're not a Christian. You can't be a Christian. Christians don't sin. You're, you're not going to heaven. I didn't know. Nobody ever told me that was an intruded thought. Nobody ever told me I could get victory over that through the power of Christ. So warfare against demonic forces is always a threat of peril against the believer. Uh, perseverance, then, another word in this verse, is the firm persistence in an undertaking or circumstances. It includes patience, by the way. Again, we pray for all the saints because all those who are saints, who love the Lord and are beloved of him, are involved in the battle, whether they're doing anything about it or not. And in America, we have so dismissed the supernatural, except for our secular world, who is falling head over heels for Eastern mysticism all around us, and some Christians are getting sucked into that, basically through yoga and those kinds of things. But the church is still saying, well, the enemy can't have a base of operation of you, in you. They can't have anything to do with your flesh. And that's a lie straight from the pits of hell. If you had to believe that, or you, you were told to believe the enemy can't build a base of operation in you, then you're not going to worry about what the enemy's doing until your life starts to crumble and fall apart. So when Noel and I went uh, years ago, thanks to this church's generosity, to the Central, Central African Republic, we went for one reason. We were invited by missionary Kim Cohn to teach the native pastors how to deal with spiritual warfare. Now, when I got there, I did things differently because their mistake was blaming everything on demons. They would sin and say, well, a demon did that. And I'd think, well, no, you did that, you know. And, and they blamed everything on demons. So when I was there, my message was that you, you can't blame everything on demons. You need to stop. What's really the problem here is your own sin. Your sin is the problem, not the enemy. Now, the enemy is a problem, but they're not the ones that are doing all this stuff you're doing. It's by your sin you allow the enemy to have a place in your life. So to get rid of the enemy, I first have to get my sin taken care of with, with God if I, if I have sinned, committed adultery or something like that. So they're blaming everything. In the United States of America, uh, their mistake is that nothing almost is ever uh, demonic and certainly nothing personal. So in Africa, I said demons are your problem, your, aren't your problem, sin is your problem. In America, I've heard people tell me, because I mentioned demons, they say, you know what, you see a demon under every bush. Well, what do I say to Americans, especially American pastors? No, I don't. That's a lie. I see 50 demons under every bush. Whoa! I'd like to wake them up. Well, let's accept that we're in a spiritual battle. Let's start fighting the battle. 
Friends, families are being shipwrecked while we watch and stand by doing nothing. And there is a battle for marriages today. And Satan is winning it. Do we care? In verses 19 and 20, we pray for others to be bold with the gospel as we ought to be because we're ambassadors of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we are the same as New Testament apostles. That's not true uh, by that statement. I don't mean that. But we are, all of us, ambassadors for Christ, which carries with it God's power in, in certain instances and a call for our, our faith and obedience. So let me just uh, look at first, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.20. First of all, I want to show you the Bible does say that you're an ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20, I'm pretty sure that's in your bulletin. Notice he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. How's that for clarity? As though God were making appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, he's in a different context, but we are ambassadors of Christ. If you're an ambassador for the United States, you're sent to a foreign country, you get a sovereign area that then belongs to the United States, and you speak for the, the president and the people of the United States. That's a lot of power. What we're saying is that Jesus has told us in, in various instances, we are representing and have the power of Christ in, in spiritual battle. And there's, there's ways we have to use that. Now, if we're in sin, we have to take care of our sin first. But we also have power. So what I told you to do with an intruded thought can only be done by an ambassador of Christ. Uh, if you want to look at another place, just for a second, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit, and he doesn't mean the Holy Spirit, but our spirit. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, Timidity is not a good translation there. Timidity, cowardice, but of power and love and discipline. We, have, we are powerful in Christ Jesus, and we're powerful in the enemy, uh, with, with the enemy that we fight because of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul was a powerful apostle, not because he was anything great, but because he was an obedient man of God, and God worked through him great things. You can be a great man or woman of God. Paul was a powerful apostle, a man of great faith. That's what made him that way, an authority in Christ Jesus. He was used by God to heal the sick. He raised people from the dead. He handed people over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme the living God in church discipline. He stood before the rulers of Israel boldly and before kings without apology. And in great humility, he asked for people like us in this passage uh, they would be like us in his day, just ordinary Christian people fighting the battle every day at work and at home and all those things. He asked for ordinary people like us to pray for him in his great ministry. What that means is he thinks that the saints have a lot of power in prayer, and he needs it in this current ministry while he's in prison to speak boldly the name of Christ. And if Paul needs prayer to be successful in his spiritual battle, maybe we do as well. Maybe we should. His special request in verse 19 uh, is that it be given to him. When he opens his mouth to proclaim the gospel, that it's for the Jew and the Gentile, the mystery of the gospel, that he will be able to do it with boldness in the ministry of the gospel. Imagine, 
you're in prison, you're in chains, and you're having other people pray because you're in the middle of a spiritual battle, could I be bold when I get the opportunity to tell people about Christ, which is why I'm in prison in the first place? It is the proclamation of salvation that he preaches through faith to the Jews and the Gentiles. That proclamation has caused Paul a lot of personal heartache from those who are in the sect of the Jews who are misguidedly zealous for the law of Moses to somehow be a part of Christian salvation, and it is not. And they uh, tried hard to get him in jail and get him killed because of it. What reasons does Paul request boldness for? Boldness is to express oneself freely, openly, and fearlessly. It is, be, it is to be courageous. What is Paul used to in his ministry? What does this guy deal with all the time? Well, he tells us in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. In other words, uh, this goes against his humility, but to get this across to the Corinthians, he's going to have to say this. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten with uh, times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, and they'd actually left him for dead, um, I, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep waters. I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from those kinds of things, he said, I have the burden of praying for all the churches every day. Wow. You have any problems in your life right now? And Paul wants God's help in the battle. Now, there's a guy that's really in the battle. You're in the battle, too. I'm in the battle, too. So we need to, we need to wake up and get with it and fight that battle. Paul is a powerful apostle, a great man of faith. You, you are men and women of faith. And he did these great things for God. He stood before the rulers of Israel and before kings boldly. In great humility, he asked, would you pray for me? And if Paul needs prayer to be successful, then we need prayer. Do we remember what the mystery of the gospel is? It's that God is bringing along the Gentiles just like he has the Jews. It is the proclamation of salvation through faith to the Jew and to the Gentile. That proclamation has caused Paul all these problems that he's had. Please note the contradiction expressed in verse 20 of our passage, where it says, i got to get there, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Well, that's a, that's a contradiction. You don't put ambassadors in chains. They're authorities. They're people that you listen to. But there it is. Paul is an ambassador of the most powerful king in the universe, in prison by a human king. He's put in chains. You're not to treat an ambassador that way. 2 Timothy 2.9 Paul is in chains, but all he can talk about is I need prayer to be able to use this jail cell or house arrest in one case as a place for boldness to preach the gospel. See, wherever Jesus puts us, we need to see the possibility for ministry in that place. 
Paul saw that in that prison was a possibility for ministry. So it doesn't matter where we are. And Paul ministered to people in the prisons before. Remember in Philippi, he and Silas were singing praises to God, and people were listening. Speaking boldly for Christ is certainly how we ought to speak. It isn't always easy, my friends. There are many in our world today who don't want to hear it and won't tolerate it. And I didn't say this when I wrote this, but now there's people in America burning Bibles over it. I have no idea what's going to happen in the election. But I can guarantee you there are people promising to make it difficult whatever way it goes. I don't know if we're going to be able to continue with our easy lifestyle. I don't know if we're going to be able to continue uh, with church the way it's always been. I don't know what's going to happen to us, but we need us to stand up and act like men of God, the men especially, and the women to be bold too. I thought this was interesting. Uh, Back in June of 2011, Levi Strauss Company was uh, still running a very uh, provocative ad campaign that targets men for a line of doctor's pants. The following script was uh, in their their website. I didn't check to see if it's still there. Probably not. It was called man hyphen Uh, So the man-efesto. And this is what it said, and I quote, Once upon a time, men wore the pants and wore them well. Women rarely had to open doors, and little old ladies never had to cross the street alone. Men took charge because that's what they did. But somewhere along the way, the the world decided it no longer needed men. Disco by disco, latte by foamy non-fat latte, men were stripped of their khakis and left stranded on the road between boyhood and and androgyny, which uh, means uh, someone appearing partly male and partly female in appearance. They go on to say, but today there there, there are questions our genderless society has no answers for. The world sits idly by as cities crumble, Children misbehave, and those little old ladies may remain on one side of the street. For the first time since bad guys, we need some heroes. We need grown-ups. We need men to put down the plastic fork, step away from the salad bar, and untie the world from their, their tracks of complacency. It's time to get your hands dirty. It's time to answer the call for manhood. It's time to wear pants. <laughs> That's Levi's, not me, okay? All right, but I think in spiritual things, it's time for us to wear pants. A good friend of mine in Nebraska was sick and tired of the women who were married to the elders of the church running the church. They'd they'd make a decision. One of their wives didn't like it, so he would change his mind, come back and say, we can't do that. And he just got fed up with it. And and it, it really bothered him. He said, you know, these guys are the elected leaders. They're supposed to do that. The women aren't really here, and they're not supposed to be running the church. They weren't elected to this. And besides, that's out of a role that God didn't give them. So one night at a board meeting, he shows up with some, uh, back then, some J.C. Penney's flyers. And they had their meeting, and finally one of the elders said, what are these for? He said, oh, I'm glad you asked. He handed them out to everybody. He said, pants are on sale. Get a pair. (laughs) You know, friends, the days are coming when... We're going to be uh, called on to be brave and bold in ministry. And we need to start acting. The men need to start acting like men of God and the women like women of God. Um, In my lifetime, the pastorate in America has somehow become uh, almost totally feminized. If the men don't stand up for God's truth, 
what will those who follow them do? We need women and children to be bold as well. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but the Bible is complementarian in, in male and female relationships. It is not egalitarian, except in the area of our standing before the living God. There is no difference there. John Wayne once said, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Well, that's really not courage. Courage is being scared to death, deciding to trust Jesus, and then saddling up. That's courage. I want to end this with some applications for us, and then we'll have our time around the Lord's table. Number one, in the battle, if there is no prayer, there is no victory. We must get God involved. Secondly, the praying soldier is the most effective soldier. The praying soldier is the most effective soldier. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 16 and 17 says this, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. Now this is Paul in prison again. Where's my brothers and sisters in Christ on this? They're gone. May it not be counted against them, just like Paul, to forgive them. But the Lord, that's Jesus Christ, stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. I just want to say, when no one came to stand by Paul, Jesus showed up. If you're called on at your workplace or some other place to stand for Christ, and no one else will stand with you, don't forget, Jesus is always standing with you. He will never leave you. Thirdly, being bold for Christ with his message is a declaration of war against the enemy and his forces. Now, I just want to remind us here, okay, before I lose my voice completely, <clears throat> we have to be against the enemy. And if you signed up to help with Awana the other night, if you lead in a youth group, if you lead in a life group, a Sunday school, a Bible study, or just try to reach your neighbors for Christ, you declared war on the enemy. And don't think they're going to take that lying down. They're not. Fourthly, are you and I alert and persevering in prayer for all the saints who are all in the battle? And finally, we are engaged in and fighting a battle. I just want to challenge you today. Are you engaged in the battle? Are you fighting? Well, um, we are going to take communion. I, I tried to hurry today, and it didn't work out real well for me, but we have a few minutes. Hope you'll give us that. But I'm going to ask our... Uh, well, no, we don't have men come forward, do we? I, I do this on my own, don't I? Okay. All right. I want to thank my lovely wife for... Oh, no, Becky's going to help me. I want to thank my lovely wife for opening my...